The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hello, everybody. My name is Dr. Jonathan Brower, and I have a show called Human Behavior, What a Trip. And we have a wonderful trip today with Dr. Diana Lynn Barnes. She's a psychotherapist, and um, her expertise has to do with uh, postpartum depression. She has a great book out called The Journey to Parenthood, Myths, Reality, and What Really Matters. So, Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Yes. So the way I'd like to start off is uh, before we get to your specialization, um, how did you, how did you uh, become a therapist? What, what went on in your earlier life that, that um, drew you to become a psychotherapist and then after that to well, become a... Well, you know, a, it's, it's, yeah. it's interesting that you would ask that because I don't even really know. Um, uh-huh. I had another profession many years ago. Uh, I was actually a professional singer uh-huh. and had actually come out to California from the East Coast uh, early on in my 20s. Um, and somewhere along the line, just decided that I wanted to go back to school, finish up a degree, and then go on for a master's. And uh, so it, as I look back and reflect upon it, it doesn't seem like there was like one kind of shining moment. I've always been interested, uh, I've always been interested in people though. I, I, um, I guess I think of myself as reflective but outgoing. And, uh, I've always been interested in relationships and I've always been interested for some reason in psychology. So, um, I suppose that's how I found myself moving down that road. And then once you became a therapist, um, how long was it before you you had this particular niche of yours? Well, actually, my specialization came out of my own personal history. Uh, as as many therapists will tell you, we're we're drawn to um, the things in life that we've either experienced personally or that we feel you know most passionate about, and and uh, that was the case for me. Uh, I have two children, and my daughter is twenty. And after she was born in the first year of her life, I was hospitalized four different times with extended hospitalizations of two to three weeks at a time, and no one, no one knew what was wrong with me. And um, 
There are all these different kinds of diagnoses and all these different kinds of treatments, and nobody had any idea what was wrong. And it really took one year to the day of her birth before I even heard the word postpartum depression. And by that time, I had finished up graduate school. Um, I really didn't know what area of, you know, therapy I wanted to explore or specialize in. And upon the heels of my recovery, it was very clear to me that this was the area that I felt most passionate about. And then did you become one of the first people in the, in the field to write about this problem? Uh, yes, early on. Um, I started working in this field in 1995. Um, there were a couple of books that were out, but none of the, none of the knowledge and the research that we, you know, that we have so much exposure to now. Um, postpartum depression was one of the world's best kept secrets. People didn't talk about it. Um, there was a tremendous amount of shame associated with it. Um, and actually one of the first pieces that I wrote on this topic was for the journal for the California Association of Marriage and Family Therapists in which I, you know, talked about my own experience and then talked at greater length about what this, what these disorders really look like. Yes. So um, 20 years ago or whatever it was, when I first heard about postpartum depression, I had the notion, which obviously was incorrect, but I had the notion that um, postpartum depression frequently, if not all the time, uh, came about because these um, mothers were depressed anyway, and and it happened during the time of their birth, their child's birth. But the um, real issue was just a certain uh, a certain uh, area of depression. But in later in later years, I got a little, a little more sophisticated, but no, nowhere as much as you are. Right. So, uh, so I'd like you to start off by um, uh, explaining the difference between postpartum depression and just uh, generic depression. Okay. Well, I, I want I, I'm happy to do that, and I want to respond to something you just said, which Please is do. that you know right your ahead. original thinking was that you know women who are um, already have a history of depression, um, that this is somehow on the continuum somehow. Yes. And actually, the truth is that when we're, you know, when we're doing any kind of risk assessment, we're trying to make a determination as to, during a woman's pregnancy, uh, as to whether she may be at risk for the onset, you know, what her level of vulnerability is, we are looking at history. So we are looking at personal and family history of mood disorder, anxiety disorder, uh, and, and, you know, personal and family history becomes very significant. So I just wanted to mention that. Um, well, you know, this is, um, as we've come to understand so much more about this illness, we recognize that there are lots of different ways in which it can look, which makes it even that more complex uh, in terms of assessment. But there are a couple of ways in which it really does look very different than um, other kinds of major depressive episodes, and it's not just because you've had a baby, um, and so we tack on the name postpartum depression. But some of the symptoms really look different. For example, um, sleep. Sleep is extremely disrupted, and not just because, you know, most people would say, well, yeah, of course your sleep is disrupted. You've just had a baby. What mom do you know who sleeps when she has a new baby? But the difference for moms with postpartum depression is that no matter how exhausted they may be, 
they cannot settle their bodies down enough um, in order to sleep at all. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So those are the moms who, even when baby is sleeping very soundly and peacefully, are up and about and or lying in bed with their eyes wide open, looking at the clock, wondering why they can't settle down. So that's one of the <clears throat> one of the first ways and. Um, one of the ways in which we, you know, when I'm asking questions, that's one of the first things that I want to know. It's also one of the first things that I tell my patients to be on the lookout for. So um, I have a question to ask you sure. regarding this. So, so, so for the, the mother who is uh, wired and fully alert while her baby's sleeping and she can't get any sleep, does this have anything to do with anxiety issues also, or is it just... Yes, it certainly does, and okay. which leads me to what, which is, leads me right into what I was going to say about Good. another okay. way in which postpartum depression looks very different than other kinds of major depressive episodes, is that uh-huh. um, it looks like anxiety, it doesn't look like depression. And so uh-huh. very often, women and family members will, will say, well, you're not depressed because you're just anxious. But that's the most common way in which postpartum depression presents itself is with overwhelming anxiety. And for many women, when the anxiety is really severe, as it was in my case, um, I mean, it's paralyzing. I mean, moms, new moms are just literally immobilized by the anxiety and the worry. And very often the cry of the baby is what triggers um, the anxiety. And so it really gets in the way of being able to function. I know in my own case... Uh, as much as I wanted to, you know, to take care of my little girl, um, it was it was impossible. It wasn't that I didn't want to. It was that I couldn't. And I think it's an important distinction that, you know, many, um, even professionals and non-professionals don't really recognize is that it's not that moms don't want to take care of their babies. They do, but they can't. Yes. I mean, the illness really gets in the way of that. Yeah. Yeah. The, the other way in which postpartum depression looks different than um, other kinds of major depressive episodes is with respect to um, what has often been described in the literature as cognitive disorganization. There's a lot of confusion, a lot of disorientation, fogginess. Women will talk about it as feeling foggy, yeah. um, and it's pretty significant in postpartum depression. Yeah. And the the fourth way that I think it looks different is in terms of uh, disruptions in in um, appetite and eating. Uh-huh. Women lose weight um, very rapidly, despite you know um, even when they're not attempting to diet. And while that sounds really great, because most moms, you yeah. know, if they're telling you the truth, want to get that baby weight off really fast. Yeah. But um, in moms with postpartum depression, they really they they're they just can't eat. Okay, so let me recap what I think I've heard you say. Sure. That, that even though it's called postpartum depression, the anxiety is more uh, more stronger in most women than the depression. Yes. And that's, then I'm also wondering, because like. my uh, specialty is anxiety and depression when I see patients. And um, it seems to me that in most cases, there's some overlap between the depression and anxiety. It could be very mild or it could be you know, right, the two right over each other. So in your work, do you find that uh, there's when they're, when they're having their anxiety, that, uh, I'll put it this way, what percentage of the women who are having anxiety also have some depression, whether it's uh, 5% or uh, 95%? Well, you know, we, we have the accompanying feelings of helplessness, hopelessness, powerlessness. Uh-huh 
diminished yeah. self-esteem, uh, guilt. Yes. Um, so those kinds of symptoms that we see in major depressive episodes certainly exist. Yeah. Uh, I think what's, what's kind of more complex about um, the diagnosis of postpartum depression, even though certainly it contains many of the symptoms of major depressive episode, and that's how it's looked at yeah. uh, in the literature, um, really it's the anxiety which is, which is fueling, um, you know, the, the mood disorder. So if it was renamed today, it might be called postpartum anxiety. Well, we look at it as postpartum mood and anxiety disorders. That's yeah. how we kind of talk about it. Okay, and so there both, are different yeah. ways. I mean, you know, the statistics are really staggering, Jonathan, when you think about it. Uh, approximately 800,000 to a million women each year are going to have um, some presentation of postpartum depression. Yeah. Which is, and and is, the postpartum impression, is the postpartum depression always right at birth? Or is it going uh, to be starting off after four months? No, it's a great question. Actually, clinically, we look at the first year as okay. uh, significant. Okay, we're coming up for music. We're, we have the bumper music, so we're going to have a quick timeout. We'll come back in about a minute. A fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health & Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. 
If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. You're back with Jonathan Brower and Diana Lynn Barnes. She's my, she's our guest. She's my guest, and she's also your guest. And um, Diana, we were talking about uh, – before we go to that, I want you to mention the name of your book and also your um, website for people okay. who might want to visit you. Well, thank you. Um, our book is called The Journey to Parenthood, Myths, Reality, and What Really Matters. Um, and uh, my website is uh, www postpartumhealth.com Okay, postpartumhealth.com Right. For the patient, it would probably be called posthell.com <laughs> Perhaps. Posthellhealth.com yeah. Okay, so back to what we were talking about. So you, before the break, you were mentioning that uh, approximately 1 million women... 800,000 uh, to a million women each year are going to have some form of postpartum depression. The most common way in which it presents is with this overwhelming anxiety. And, um, and I, I, I need to ask a question. Are these numbers for just the United States or is this for worldwide or what? This is you know, in, the, in this country. Okay, okay US, But yeah. the statistics are, are pretty, if we put it in percentages, it's about uh, 15, 15%, 15 to 20%, and the statistics seem to be pretty consistent internationally. Uh-huh. Yeah. So that's a huge number of people right. who are suffering. So and, that's, that, that's sorry, the most common way, and there are some other yeah. ways in which it presents, and if you'd like me to share that, I'd be happy to. Yeah, well, do that too, and also maybe at the same time. Uh, how does it happen that some women will have postpartum depression right away, some women will have it uh, four months later or, or a year later? How does that work? Well, you know, we're not really sure. I wish I had a definitive answer for you. Yeah. I mean, we do know that if a mom has... Uh, well, we know a couple of things. One of the things we know is that the seeds of postpartum depression really begin in the last trimester of pregnancy. Uh-huh. Um, and I often find that when I'm, you know, uh, seeing a woman for the first time for a consultation and asking her questions, we see that the symptoms start very slowly to present themselves in the last trimester of pregnancy. However, they're often overlooked or misdiagnosed because in many ways they resemble pregnancy-like symptoms. Sleep yes. disruption, appetite disruption, anxiety, tearfulness, mood, you know, mood swings. It looks like many of the symptoms of, you know, lethargy, fatigue can look like pregnancy. Yes. Um, the other thing we know is that one of the single most significant predictors of depression postpartum is a mood or anxiety disorder during uh-huh. uh, pregnancy. I see. So, the, you know, this whole idea of maternal bliss, which I talk a lot about in, you know, in my book, yes. um, you know, the, the idea that, you know, motherhood is blissful and new moms are always happy uh, and pregnancy is protective against any kind of depression, that's all myth because we yes. know about 10% of women are going to experience some kind of mood or anxiety disorder during their pregnancies. Yes. So, you know... Sometimes, and we're not really clear about this either, sometimes when women are uh, weaning um, the baby from the breast, sometimes those hormonal changes can, um, can create, you know, uh, onset 
uh, can trigger the onset of depression. Um, you know, as the body returns to its pre-pregnant state, sometimes that's what um, can leave a woman more vulnerable. And a lot of times, too, women are, you know, they may go to the doctor at that six-week appointment and, you know, he says, how are you feeling? And she says, you know, she bursts into tears and yes. the doctor says, um, oh, you'll be okay. All women go through this, you know, and ridiculous. misdiagnosing what really is a, a depressive episode with an adjustment. Yes. So women will go home, and many women, you know, we're, we're often kind of trained to, um, to respect the authority figure, especially, you know, a doctor, and so we'll go home and we'll sit with the symptoms until yes. we can't sit with them anymore. Yeah. So I have a question. So for uh, uh, women who are in the third trimester with their infant, not yet mm-hmm. born, um, obviously, I think it's obvious that it would not be a good idea to give the patient, the mother, um, any kind of uh, medication to mask the anxiety or depression because it would be bad for the, the baby, right? Well, actually, and of course, you know, this is way out of my scope of practice because I'm not a psychiatrist and there actually is, uh, just as I'm an expert in women's reproductive mental health, yeah. um, there is a, a, a new and growing field of psychiatry, a subspecialty, which is reproductive psychiatry. Uh-huh. Um, and so among my colleagues, you know, my yes. close psychiatric colleagues, um, there, you know, it is really a case-by-case. Um, we know, you know, and I can't speak to you certainly about the last trimester, and it's always a very individual decision. Yes. But, you know, it's whenever decisions about medication are being made, and of course I have many patients who are on medication, um, it's really a cost-benefit um, analysis uh, because exposure always occurs. And so exposure occurs if a woman is put on medication and exposure occurs if her tr- depression during pregnancy is left untreated and we have a lot of data a lot of data now a lot of research that um, suggests that untreated depression during pregnancy can be very harmful to the fetus a higher risk of low yes. birth weight higher risk of um, yeah. prematurity and a whole host of other things yeah that makes sense yes so then, yeah. if I'm hearing you correctly, for the uh, mothers who don't have the mood or anxiety issues until after the birth of the child, then if they are getting medication for their anxiety or depression, then they probably wouldn't be breastfeeding their their baby. Is that correct? Well, no. Actually, uh-huh. uh, there are some medications that are quite compatible with breastfeeding, Um, And Zoloft is actually one of the ones that's uh, generally recommended. There are other medications that use, but Zoloft seems to be the the drug of choice, the medication of choice for breastfeeding moms. Um, And so, you know, this is a whole area of science that has opened up a tremendous amount of research. I mean, it's very heartwarming because when I started in this field, there was virtually nothing. And uh, so, you know, to see... Uh, the things that are available to moms today and how easy it is to be treated for this. This is, it's interesting because it's one of the most, postpartum depression is one of the most common complications of pregnancy and it is also the easiest thing to treat. And, That's good uh, to know. That's great. I have, a, I have a smile on my face. As you're saying that, I have a smile on my face. That's good to know. It is I have good a, to know. Pardon me? 
No, I, I say it is good to know because oh, so yeah. often yeah. women are, are frightened and they don't want to go to the doctor because they're concerned. And, uh, you know, I think it's important that women out there, partners, family members know that this is extremely treatable. And yes. especially when we get to it, you know, when we get to it early. And when smart. we don't treat it, um, it has, it can have potentially, you know, far-reaching implications, not just for the mom, but for the partner and for the whole family and for the child. Okay. I have a question to ask you. Sure. Um, I don't even know if you know the answer, but I'll ask you. I'm wondering if, um, so for um, mothers who have babies who've had um, mood disorders and or anxiety, mm-hmm. are they more likely or less likely or the same as the general population of mothers to have uh, breastfeeding? I'm not quite sure I understand the question. Maybe. Okay, well, basically, so for, for women who have, um, we'll just call it postpartum depression, to be sure. generic for a moment, are they busy having uh, breastfeeding for their, uh, do they do breastfeeding to the same amount of uh, women who don't so, have you know, this problem? I, I understand what you're saying. Actually, it's interesting because, and we're not quite sure which comes first, the chicken or the egg, but we find that in moms with postpartum depression, yeah. um, breastfeeding is more challenging. They tend to have more difficulty. So and that's because of their sure anxiety? That and, what's that? Because they have problems with it because of their anxiety or something else? We, we don't know. They just I tend see. to report more difficulties with breastfeeding. I see. Um, and um, so we're not sure whether it's that the postpartum depression, um, you know, causes difficulties with, with breastfeeding or whether, um, you know, yeah. it's the other way around. We really don't know. But we do know that uh, it's one of the questions I routinely ask, how's breastfeeding going? Because uh, yes. we find that moms with postpartum depression um, tend to have more difficulty. Yeah, okay. Well, you answered the question. So... Uh, <laughs> Uh, in your book, on, in the second chapter, you talk about something, I don't know what it is. It's called Kuvad syndrome. Oh, yes, yes, Kuvad did I, syndrome. Did I pronounce that correctly? Yeah, you did. It's actually, it's a French word. Yeah, it sounds um, French. And yeah. it's a syndrome. Um, it's a French syndrome, but it's been coined and, and it's, it's recognized, obviously, internationally. But... Um, it means uh, it's kind of a sympathetic pregnancy. Uh-huh. And so very often partners will have the the very same kinds of pregnancy symptoms as their as their spouses. So oh, yeah, I've know, heard about that for years, but I didn't realize that was this. Yeah, so pregnant oh, yeah. dads will gain weight, um they'll um they'll have sleep disruptions, uh they'll have morning sickness, uh and so they'll report many of the symptoms as their as their partners, um, but they're not pregnant. <laughs> yes. So are some of their symptoms anxiety symptoms? Uh, could be. I mean, it's yeah. really it's an over-identification uh-huh. with, uh, with their partner's pregnancy. I see. Fascinating. Okay. So we'll be back in about a minute, everybody. All right. Hang on in there, guys. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield, Total Access. 
Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. Dialogue is the single most powerful leadership tool we have to make a difference in the world. Leading conversations with host Cheryl Esposito creates a place for that dialogue. Tune into the Voice America Business Channel every Friday as Cheryl hosts new conversations among leaders from around the world in business, government, art, economics, and social change. We'll explore big ideas and everyday actions and learn how their own leadership has led them to discover a newfound sense of possibility in the world. Leading Conversations with Cheryl Esposito, bringing big thinkers together in conversations that make a difference right here on the Voice America Business Channel every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's toll free 1 866 472 5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. We're back with Diana Lynn Barnes and me, Jonathan Brower. We're having a wonderful conversation about postpartum depression. And uh, Diana, the name of your book is The Journey to Parenthood, Myths, Reality, and What Really Matters. Right. I, I have this book in my left hand at the moment, everybody, and it's a great <laughs> book. And I highly recommend you get it for yourself, for people you know who might want to use it. And uh, tell tell everybody again your website. Uh, www.postpartumhealth.com. It's all one word. So P-O-S-T-P-A-R-T-U-M health.com. Great. And the book so, is available on Amazon, um, readily available on Amazon. Okay, great. So uh, getting back to your book... You have a chapter on how mothers experienced their postpartum depression mm-hmm. and how and how fathers do it. So tell us the difference between motherhood and fatherhood here. Well, are you talking about with respect to, I mean, we do know that dads actually are vulnerable to postpartum depression. Yeah, what percentage of, maybe you don't know the answer to this one either, but what's the percentage you think of uh, fathers who have postpartum depression? I think so. I think the current percentage is around 10%. Uh-huh. 
And even though, you know, I, I think the, one of the bottom lines here is that I think we fail as a, as a culture and as a society to appreciate what an enormous life transition this is. Oh, it's um, staggering. You know, my, and, and it is staggering. And in my book, I talk a lot about the myths because I think that the myths around motherhood, the myths around parenthood, uh, play a really important role in the psychology of pregnancy in the postpartum period and to such a great extent that they can actually increase, you know, one's vulnerability to the onset of depressive symptoms. Yes. In both men and in women. Um, and, um, you know, this is, I mean, it's just one of the most, I mean, we're, we've been talking a lot about anxiety, you know, this afternoon. This yes. is one of the most stressful and anxiety-producing times in the life of a family. Um, and, and many people don't recognize, you know, we have these ideas that, you know, well, babies sleep all day long, so I'll have plenty of time. And, um, you know, or we have ideas about uh, the maternal instinct um, yes. And actually, I'm I'm here to tell you that there is no such thing. There well, is, there... which might surprise you. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I, I, that surprised me somewhat because we grew up learning that, uh, uh, well, mammals at least uh, lactate. Have a maternal instinct, they, and, right? Have a maternal give... instinct. Yeah, and, and we we all, you know, I grew up with that idea. I think it filters through. Um, relationships between men and women because, and I've seen this in my office where, you know, dad is holding on, is holding the baby and the baby is sleeping comfortably and peacefully in dad's arms and all of a sudden the baby starts to whimper and in less than a second dad goes here and gives the baby to mom, the belief being, well, she's the mom, she knows what to do. Uh, And I think we do women a great disservice when we lead them to believe, uh, you know, there is certainly an instinct to nurture, to want to nurture and an instinct to want to protect. There's no question about that. Yes. But this whole idea that you're supposed to know everything there is to know about somebody whom you've never even met yes. is preposterous. You know, I mean, I didn't know everything there was to know about my husband, you know, the first day I met him or the third date or, you know, we're still learning things about each other. So and yet somehow we perpetuate this idea that moms are supposed to know every cry, what every cry means, what every movement of the baby means. And if they don't, we know what moms tell themselves. They tell themselves, oh, my gosh, I'm terrible at this. I don't know what I'm doing. I never should have been a mom. I'm awful at this. What was I thinking? And before you know it, they're in this kind of downward spiral of depression. Yes. Well, I'll give you a little anecdote. When my first child was born, uh, after one day of having him home, my wife and I looked at each other and we just had the idea, we need help. Right. And we happened to find this wonderful woman who used to uh, take care of Bobby Darren's children. Yeah. And she she was uh, from uh, Vienna or somewhere. She had an accent. She was really sweet. And she lived with us for about a week. Yeah. And that so that so much helped us be calmer and less anxious about uh, not taking good enough care of our child. Right. Right. Yeah, Absolutely. Great, Absolutely. I know in my in my book I have a because you know part of the book was that we went around and we interviewed couples. Um, the idea was to interview them before while they were expecting and then to interview them again within, you know, uh, several weeks to a month or so after they had given birth, 
to see the the differences between what they expected and how it really was. And yes. one of the couples that I remember interviewing, um, they had actually taken my uh, my childbirth education class, which my book is based on. Uh, they had actually taken that class at one of the hospitals where I teach, and um, they told me that you know when they got home, they t- they'd read all the parenting books, taken my class, they got home with their daughter. And they sat down in the nursery and looked at each other and said, "What do we do now?" Um, because it's just it's it's just mind blowing that all of a sudden, you know, it's I often say to the women that I work with, "Where else in life do you walk into a hospital, or even if you have a home birth, you know, yeah. do you go into labor and delivery as one person and come out as two? Yes. Where else in life do we have such a such a staggering experience? Yes. So it seems and, to me. The best scenario is after, right after birth, either someone that they hire or uh, a grandparent or somebody who lives with them for a, a week or so and helps them get through some of this stuff. Well, I'm, I'm even a, a stronger advocate than that. I believe oh, that people should have help for as long as they feel they need it. I agree. And, um, and I think that we, we have, there seems to be this magic two weeks. That yeah. many couples, when I, you know, ask couples, well, who's coming to help? When are they coming to help? Yes. Um, there seems to be this magical two-week period, and I think that, you know, the first year is extremely yeah. challenging. And while you may not be able to, you know, afford to hire somebody um, yes. for a year, or you may not have family around, yeah. I certainly talk with the couples that I work with. I certainly talk about creative ways in which to avail themselves of support because. Uh-huh. One of the things we do know, and the, and the research is out there to support that, is that the degree of social support that a family has, a couple has, has a big impact on their the ease to which they make this transition. Yes. That makes so the more social sense. support, the better off you are. Yes. So it, I'm curious about something that just occurred to me. Um, in your practice, do you see... Uh, young mothers whose who, who are the babies of their mothers. Do you follow what I'm oh, saying? Oh, you mean generationally? Actually, yeah, yeah. You know that's interesting that you say it. Actually, I haven't. Uh, I mean, I certainly work with families, um, but um, no, I, I actually haven't. <laughs> I've had, be, I've, I've led mother daughter groups, but that would be, um, be an interesting study to see how the second generation. Does with well, the but I do. Person. It's interesting that you bring that up, Jonathan, because I do believe, and a lot of my work is is rooted in this. Yes. is that when we become mothers ourselves, that our relationship with our own mothers uh, comes under the microscope. Yes. and that when we, you know, that our earliest attachment experience as daughters to our mothers really sets the framework for our relationship with our own children, particularly when they're daughters. Yes. Um, you know, and if you're, you know, converse at all with any of the attachment literature, um, I mean, it's very clear that, um, you know, the kind of attachment relationship that a woman has with her own mother is the single most significant predictor of the kind of attachment relationship she's going to create with her own child. Yes. So when um, when the attachment bond is secure and all everything's great, but when there's an attachment bond rupture, then uh, something has to be done to uh, get that repaired. And uh, 
oftentimes it doesn't get repaired. Well, I work a lot in I, in my own work. I work a lot with women around their ideas of what constitutes a good mom. Uh-huh. Because our ideas about who the good mother is originate in our ideas about who our mom was. And, you know, was she a good mother to us and how do we perceive that? And when we haven't had a good relationship with our own moms or when the relationship has been conflictual in some way, yes. uh, sometimes it can set us up to be very um, feel very uncertain or ambivalent about motherhood or kind of lost, like we're trying to operate without a roadmap. Yes. And that certainly I've experienced in my practice quite often. Yes. <clears throat> and then um, you have a chapter on welcoming the baby. Yes. And how does that differ from how it would be with someone who didn't have postpartum depression? Well, I, I think that, you know, bringing a baby into your lives, whether you have postpartum depression or you don't have postpartum depression, is an amazing transition. And actually, it's interesting because some of the literature talks about the baby as an intruder on this very, you know, well-established couple relationship. Yes, that's a good point. Uh, and, you know, th- there's that old saying, you know, two's company, three's a crowd. Yes. Well, there's truth to that. And bringing a baby into the fold requires an enormous adjustment because now all of the energy is being taken away from each other and it's being focused on this baby who demands, you know, your attention and your, and your you know, your energies 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes. And so and the couple's relationship often takes, you know, a big hit. Um, and I talk often with couples about ways to kind of keep their relationship um, intact while they're trying to adjust to all of these changes. But, you know, in our cultural mythology, we're kind of not allowed to say that the baby is uh, messing things up. Yes. Yeah, that that is permissible, you know. And so, you know, I, as a matter of fact, I often, and I've certainly written in my book about that, and I've written in, you know, academic articles that I've written in and trainings that I've done, that as strange as it sounds, even though hopefully when we welcome a baby into our lives, it's the greatest day, you know, of our entire life, but it's also a day of mourning and loss. Yes. And the loss is that the life that we knew is no longer the life that we have. Yes. It's, and, and, and it's yeah. different. Okay, so we're starting our last commercial break. Okay. And we shall return in a minute or so. A healthy dialogue for your lifestyle. Voice America Health & Wellness. Legal Shield. Total Access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. 
That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. Back to... Jonathan Brower and Diana Lynn Barnes. Diana has written a great book called The Journey to Parenthood, Myths, Reality, and What Really Matters. And if you want her website, it's www.postpartumhealth.com. So, Diana, we're back to the last segment of our show. Yes, bye. It went quickly. I know. So we have about 10 minutes to go or so. So, um... You, during the break, we were talking very briefly about women and families and yeah. how this relates to postpartum. So, about so take it, women so take and their mothers. Yes, yes. So what do you have to say about women and families in postpartum as opposed to women and well, families without postpartum? Well, you know, I, I think that... Um, uh, there's so many facets to this, but I, I think that when, you know, women do have, and, uh, when women do have postpartum depression, it's important to recognize that it has an impact on the entire family. This yes. is not just a woman's concern. Um, and it is, unfortunately, can be very disruptive to the family system, um, and puts a tremendous strain, um, on partner relationships. Uh, very often, you know, dad's experience of what's going on is that he doesn't recognize the person that he's been living with. You know, she's changed. She's different. Um, and he may be very confused about that, not understand what's going on. Uh, he may feel frustrated or he might feel frightened or he yes. might feel angry. Um, All the above, probably. <laughs> You know, feeling yeah. that she's not holding up her end of the bargain. This is yes. what they counted on. So I think it's very important, um, and I often um, include uh, dads uh, in sessions, and I encourage them to come because it's very important that they have a place where they can talk, not only talk about their experience, but also ask questions, get things clarified, um, yes. so that they can understand what's going on. Um, and one of the reasons, one of the main reasons why it's so important to treat this and to treat it early uh, is because it can, when the attachment relationship is disrupted, that potentially has um, tremendous uh, repercussions for the healthy development of the infant. Yes. Uh, across all domains, cognitive, social, emotional, psychological. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's important that we you know, that we recognize um, how important it is to treat this and that it is treatable, you know. And I think another just kind of a little sidebar is that, you know, when we talk about women's reproductive mental health, 
we're not just talking about postpartum depression. We're talking about anything that has to do with the reproductive years. So it could be issues around fertility. Uh, it could be issues around pregnancy loss. It, it could be issues around, you know, menopause, body image, uh, all different kinds of experiences that women have. So then in your practice, once uh, a woman uh, is in menopause, then they don't see you? Well, no. not. I mean, I treat women. I, my, my practice is a women's practice. I see. And so I see women across the lifespan. I get you. Um, but my expertise um, yes. and, and the work that I'm best known for uh, is in the area of um, reproductive mental health, meaning anything surrounding pregnancy and the childbearing years. Okay. So I'm curious, uh, in your practice, what percentage of the dads come to see you along with the, with his wife? I would say, well, I always encourage dads to come, and sometimes I'm successful, sometimes I'm not. But I would say probably 75 to 80% of the time dads will come in for at least one or two sessions. Sometimes dads will come in um, and we'll work together as a couple. Yeah. I imagine that's really good when you have both. I lo- I, I'm thrilled when that happens. Absolutely yes. thrilled. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So um, I had something else to ask you. That I'm just, I lost my, my, my question. I'll come back. Okay. So, um, oh yeah, so I, I was thinking before, there are families where mom and dad and uh, one or more children sleep in the bed together. Mm-hmm. And um, again, I'm asking a question which you may not know the answer, but is it more problematic for um, the mother being... Um, moody or depressed as, a, as opposed to mothers who aren't with their You mean is there some correlation between um, bed sharing and postpartum depression? Well, well, actually, once once the when the family is all in one bed, let's say it's mom and dad and two little kids. Right. Uh, I'm assuming, and I could be way off from my assumption, that um, the mothers and or fathers who have postpartum issues are going to have a more difficult time sharing the bed. Than yeah, I they... really don't. I, I'd have to say that I don't have the answer to that. I, I yeah. you know, there's a lot of, you know, bed sharing has been part of the philosophy of attachment parenting. Um, more recently, it's, there's been some growing concern about the safety of bed sharing. Yes. Um, there are many cultures which. Uh, where that, you know, that is what's done. Uh, also sometimes in some households it becomes a financial issue because that's the only bed in the house. Um, so there, there have been some, some growing concerns about, you know, the safety of all of that and, uh, how to, how to, um, you know, prevent mishaps from happening. Uh, yes. but I don't know that there's any literature out there that, um, speaks directly to any correlation between uh, a mood disorder and, um, and you know, bed sharing per se. Okay. Uh, I mean, what we do know is that in some cases of postpartum depression, mothers are feeling more uh, disconnected or emotionally detached from their infants. Moms will talk about uh, going through the motions. There's actually a language 
uh, to postpartum depression. It's not unlike the language that you might use with your own doctor to describe the symptoms of flu. Well, the symptoms of postpartum depression get expressed with certain words and certain phrases, and when you sit with women day in and day out, you hear the exact words and phrases over and over again, things like feeling foggy, things like going through the motions, um, that kind of thing. Yeah, and so... um uh, if a woman has postpartum depression, let's say with, with baby number one, mm-hmm. is, is she more likely to have that same problem with baby number two or is it, uh... Well, it puts her at a higher risk. Certainly yeah. if she has an episode, a, a, a previous episode of untreated depression, her risk for recurrence in a subsequent pre- pregnancy is 50 to 75%. So it's pretty wow. high. And we also know that it can potentially be even more severe. Um, primarily because once the brain chemistry has been dysregulated by one episode of depression, kind of like the brain remembers. So I the see. next time the body's under stress, a mom is much more vulnerable. I see. And um, in your practice, these mothers who you've seen when they had their infant, do you end up seeing some of them over the long haul or every, so, every few years they might come in regarding something to do with their Oh, actually, I saw a mom today who I'd seen for a while um, when she um, had her, she had a postpartum depression after her second daughter was born. I did not know her after the first pregnancy. Uh-huh. And um, she came to me uh, about a month ago, just about a week before she was delivering her second. And we talked a little bit and then I saw her today. So sometimes women will will come until they're feeling better and then they'll stop or then then sometimes they'll come back as as this woman did very often that happens with subsequent pregnancies um, or they stay on in therapy because they find that uh, postpartum depression was one of the best things that ever happened to them strangely enough and that it was an opportunity for them to look at their lives in a different way yeah that makes sense yeah so that's, that's a very lovely outcome yeah 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 and um, you've been well, doing this. Well, it certainly changed my life. <laughs> yes, starting when you had your child. Yes. Yeah. And uh, so um, do you plan on staying, doing this kind of work for the next 10 or 20 years? Or I hope you know? so. Oh, so you love your work and you might do it until? I, I love my work and I'm planning on doing it until they carry me off. <laughs> oh, good. That's great. <laughs> That's really good. So uh, what kinds of things do you like to do in addition to? Your work, what, what do you do for well, fun? Well, I love the outdoors and I love to hike. Um, yeah. My husband and I are big hikers. Um, I, um, I like to read. Um, the problem is I never have enough time. Yes. Um, and uh, family is very important to me. So, And I have two wonderful children. Uh, my daughter's 20, my son is 31, and uh, even though... He's, my daughter still lives at home and goes to college, and my son is on his own, but some of our best times are just spending time together as a family, and uh, we, we have a wonderful family vacation planned for May, and so those are some of the best times I have, and uh, that's what I like to do. Okay. So I'm not sure how much time we have left, but uh, it's at least two minutes, I think. I'm not sure. So... Um what do you, what's the one thing you enjoy most about your practice, if you can narrow it down to something like that? I feel very privileged uh, and very honored and deeply touched to be invited into the lives and the stories of the women that I work with. Yes. 
um, and to be uh, a part of uh, change. I want to thank you so much for being on the show with me today. It was my pleasure. Just my pleasure. I've I'd love to come back. I enjoyed it, and I asked you about uh, maybe 10% of all the questions I could think of, <laughs> but it was been, it's wonderful having you on the show. Thank and you. And I hope a lot of people read your book and go to your website. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.